Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. It's a very ancient saying, but a true and honest thought, that if you become a teacher, by your pupils, you'll be taught. As a teacher, I've been learning, you'll forgive me if I boast, and I've now become an expert on the subject Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the extraordinary story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Children Will Listen, the Harbuck to Miranda Lineage Part 2. In our last episode, my colleague Albert Evans and I traced the direct line of Broadway genius and craftsmanship handed down from Otto Harbach to Oscar Hammerstein. Today, we pick up the story on that fateful afternoon when Hammerstein began to pass on that knowledge to young Stephen Sondheim. During his sophomore year at the George School, Sondheim had written his first musical, a satire of prep school life called By George. And in his own words, Sondheim thought the show was pretty terrific and had visions of being the first 15-year-old to have a show on Broadway. So he asked Hammerstein to read it as if it were just a musical that had crossed his desk as a producer. The next day, the famous librettist lyricist who had written Showboat and Oklahoma analyzed every aspect of By George, from the first stage direction to the finale. From afternoon to dusk, he turned pages, as Sondheim remembered it, showing me how to structure songs, how to build them with a beginning and a development and an ending, how to introduce character, What related a song to a character? Four hours of the most packed information. I dare say, at the risk of hyperbole, that I learned more that afternoon than most people learn about songwriting in a lifetime. It was, of course, an extraordinary stroke of luck for him, both personally and professionally. A young man growing up in love with Broadway musicals was being foster-fathered and now tutored by the theater's most significant book and lyric writer. Starting that day, Hammerstein outlined for Sondheim a future course of study. The first assignment was to write an entire show, book, music, and lyrics, that was based on a good play. Then write a musical adapted from a flawed play. The third assignment was to base a show on a work not written for the stage, such as a short story or novel. Finally, he was to write an entirely original musical. Over the following years, Sondheim would tackle each of these assignments, and each would be critiqued and guided by Hammerstein. Meanwhile, Hammerstein and Rogers had to figure out what their next show would be after the unprecedented success of Oklahoma. As Rogers put it, whatever we write next, whatever anybody writes next, will be compared to Oklahoma, and probably unfavorably. The movie producer Sam Goldwyn called Dick Rogers with some unsolicited advice. You know what you should do next, he said? What, asked Rogers. 
Shoot Yourself. Eventually, they determined that their second collaboration would be Carousel, based on a dark, bittersweet play called Lilium that blended realism and fantasy. Once again, their commitment to stay true to the story and the world of the play led them to new heights and to great innovation. Carousel would significantly increase the level of seamless integration of book, music, and lyrics and choreography beyond what the team had achieved in Oklahoma, especially in a sequence near the beginning of the show that has come to be known as the bench scene. Stephen Sondheim would later call the bench scene the singular most important moment in the evolution of contemporary musicals. Say, tell me something. Ain't you scared of me? I mean, after what that cop said about me taking money from girls. I ain't scared. Is that your name? Julie? Julie? Something? Julie Jordan. You're a queer one, Julie Jordan. Ain't you sorry that you didn't run away? You can still go if you wanna. I reckon that I care to choose to stay. You couldn't take my money if I didn't have any, and I don't have a penny, that's true. And if I did have money, you couldn't take any, cause you'd ask and I'd give it to you. You're a queer one, Julie Jordan. Have you ever had a fella you give money to? No. Ain't you ever had a fella at all? No. Well, you must have had a fella you went walking with. Yes. Where'd you walk? Nowhere special, I The bench scene is what Hammerstein had been working towards since Showboat, and it is the direction that every writer after would follow. The genesis of Sondheim and Lin-Manuel Miranda's extended musical sequences clearly lay in Oscar Hammerstein's bench scene from Carousel. We can see the influence of the bench scene over and over throughout the history of the musical theater ever since Carousel. And Carousel's soul-searching song, Soliloquy, clearly influenced Rose's turn in Gypsy, Sweeney Todd's Epiphany, and several songs in Hamilton. And in addition to Sondheim's priceless apprenticeship with Hammerstein, he would soon have the rare opportunity to witness the production of a Broadway musical firsthand. In the summer of 1947, following his freshman year at Williams College in Massachusetts, Sondheim got a job as a gopher on Rodgers and Hammerstein's third musical, Allegro, an unconventional music somewhat like the play Our Town. The 17-year-old typed scripts, ran for coffee, hung around rehearsals, and even traveled to New Haven for the show's first tryout before he had to go back to school. Even though it would end up having a very respectable run, Allegro was not a success. However, it did introduce many new, innovative, and even experimental concepts to the musical theater. Among them was Hammerstein's transformation of the singing and dancing chorus into a formal Greek chorus that would comment on the action of the play and voice the inner thoughts of the main characters. This technique would be borrowed and employed by Sondheim throughout his career, especially in A Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, and Sweeney Todd. This and other innovations that Allegro introduced had a profound effect on Sondheim. He said, 
Right away, I accepted the idea of telling stories in space, of skipping through time and using gimmicks like the Greek chorus, all the stuff that's in Allegro. He would later say that he has spent most of his career trying to fix Allegro, trying to take the ideas that Oscar Hammerstein had introduced in that show and have them finally work and affect an audience in the way his mentor had intended. During the summer between sophomore and junior years, Sondheim completed the first of Oscar's assignments. It was called All That Glitters, a musical adaptation of the George S. Kaufman comedy. It was produced at his college, but Hammerstein couldn't attend because South Pacific was in rehearsal. In 1949, Hammerstein again put issues of race front and center with the musical South Pacific. In fact, both the show's twin love stories hinge on racial prejudice, and at the climax, our heroine Nellie Forbush must face up to her own internalized prejudice in order to bring the plot to its enchanting conclusion. This is a show in which virtually every song in the score became a hit. Some Enchanted Evening, Nothing Like a Dame, I'm Gonna Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair, Bally High, and many more. But at the center of the show is a song that many people pressured Rodgers and Hammerstein to cut, a song called You've Got to Be Taught. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be carefully taught. South Pacific was the Hamilton of its day. Tickets were being scalped for $200, and this is when the top price for tickets was $8. There's a famous but perhaps apocryphal story attached to the demand for ticket sales for South Pacific. As the story goes, there was a sold-out performance, and a woman was sitting in a prime seat with an empty seat next to her. The woman behind her leaned forward and said, Oh, I'm so surprised to see an empty seat at South Pacific. It's so hard to get a ticket. And the woman responded, well, yes, I know it was supposed to be for my husband, but unfortunately he died. And so the woman behind her said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Couldn't you get another friend to come with you? And she said, no, everyone's at the funeral. That story <laughs> may or may not be true, but it certainly gives you an idea of the magnitude of a hit that South Pacific was, and people assumed that story was true. Sondheim plunged into the second assignment, adapting a flawed play, and the one he chose was Maxwell Anderson's High Tour. He said, it taught me something about playwriting, about structure, about how to take out the fat and how to make points. Sondheim's choice for Hammerstein's third assignment, musicalizing a novel or story, 
was Mary Poppins. So this was, of course, years before the classic Disney movie. He said it was very difficult to structure a play out of a, a group of short stories, and I wasn't able to accomplish it. By the time he finished the show, he was being graduated magna cum laude with the class of 1950. He took the Hutchinson Prize, the school's highest honor in music. During the summer of 1952, at a dinner party, Oscar introduced him to George Oppenheimer, a screenwriter and playwright who was looking for an assistant to help write a television series. Hammerstein said, Steve needs a job. Why don't you show him some of your stuff, Steve? He got the job, and within weeks he moved to Los Angeles. He had never written a professional script and considered himself a composer first, a lyricist by knack, and a librettist only by necessity. Yet his first professional work was as a writer of television scripts for a series based on the Topper movies. Soon after, Rodgers and Hammerstein began work on what would become The King and I, based officially on Margaret Landon's 1943 novel Anna and the King of Siam, but actually based on the 1946 film of the same name. Both were inspired by the memoirs of a British widow named Anna Leon Owens, in which she presented a somewhat exaggerated tale of the years she spent as tutor to the King of Siam's children during the 1860s. Again, the show tackled big issues and themes, colonialism, slavery, the conflicts between traditional cultures and the forces of modernity. While in California, Sondheim finished his final assignment, an original musical called Climb High, and mailed it to Hammerstein, believing it had commercial possibilities. At that point, Sondheim later admitted, I was still imitating Oscar in terms of emotion. At that age, I didn't have a lot of insight into lives that weren't like mine. Hammerstein pointed out Sondheim's poetic Hammerstein-style lyrics. He said, that's not what you feel, Steve. Don't write what I feel. Write what you feel. Sondheim would later say, oh, it had never occurred to me to write what I felt. And Oscar was the one who taught everyone to do that. Sondheim returned to New York and, eager to make a name for himself in the musical theater, he played his scores for anyone who would listen. And even as an adult, Hammerstein continued to help and advise Sondheim. Sondheim's first big break was being hired to write the music and lyrics for an adaptation of a play by Philip and Jules J. Epstein, the authors of the movie Casablanca. The musical was to be called Saturday Night, but... The producer died before the show could go into production, and the musical would not be produced until 30 years later. Next, he was asked to write lyrics only for a new musical with a book by Arthur Lawrence and music by Leonard Bernstein. He told Hammerstein, I really don't want to do this, and he meant it. His impulses, his training, his ambitions, and most important of all, his sense of identity were tied up with being a composer. But Hammerstein convinced him that the show would offer him the chance to get started on Broadway and, most importantly, to work with top professionals. So Sondheim accepted the job, and, of course, the show turned out to be West Side Story. A boy like that wants one thing only, and when he's done, he'll leave you lonely. He'll murder your love, he murdered mine. Just wait and see, just wait, Maria, just wait and see. Not for me, it's true for you, not for me. 
Sondheim was still showing his lyrics to his mentor, but the relationship was changing. He later said, I started to become argumentative when we discussed the songs that I was writing. West Side Story changed Oscar's attitude toward me. It was like seeing a bird fly for the first time, and he was no longer protective. Hammerstein also encouraged Sondheim to sign on when a second job as a lyricist was offered. The show was to star Ethel Merman, and Hammerstein advised Sondheim that it would be invaluable experience to work on a show tailored specifically for a star performer and personality. The show became Gypsy, a show that many considered to be one of the best and most perfectly crafted musicals of all time, as well as being the pinnacle of the Rodgers and Hammerstein style of traditional book musical. During this time, Rodgers and Hammerstein would create two more hit musicals, Flower Drum Song and The Sound of Music, a show that, interestingly, Rodgers and Hammerstein had tailored specifically for Merman's only rival for Broadway stardom, Mary Martin. Oscar Hammerstein died in 1960 at the age of 65. If he had lived only two years longer, he would have been able to see Sondheim achieve his dream of writing for the first time both lyrics and music for a Broadway musical. The show was A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Floor. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Old situations, new complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. In his introduction to a biography of Hammerstein, Sondheim summed up his mentor with these words. He was a giant. He changed the texture of the American musical theater forever. There may be librettists and lyricists whose work is more admired, but there are none greater. He taught me not only everything I know, but everything I needed to know in order to write for myself and not for him. But then he taught everybody. He sang for us all. He understood everything about teaching because that's what he was, a teacher. And what he liked best about it was, as he wrote in the verse to Getting to Know You in The King and I, it's a very ancient saying, but a true and honest thought, that if you become a teacher by your pupils, you are taught. 
Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factors' menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make everyday delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today! Today, Stephen Sondheim is acclaimed as our greatest living master of the musical theater. His string of groundbreaking musicals, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, Sweeney Todd, Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Assassins, and Passion, have inspired and influenced the current generation of writers, just as Hammerstein inspired and influenced Sondheim's generation. Lights up on Washington Heights, up at the break of day, I wake up and I got this little punk I gotta chase away. Pop the grade at the crack of dawn, sing while I wipe down the awning. Hey y'all, good morning. In the heights, I flip the lights and start my day. Lin-Manuel Miranda was born in New York City and raised in the neighborhood of Inwood on Manhattan's Upper West Side, the neighborhood where his musical In the Heights would be set. His mother is a clinical psychologist and his father a consultant for the Democratic Party. During childhood and his teens, he spent at least one month each year with his grandparents in Puerto Rico. Although he only saw three musicals on Broadway during his childhood, musicals that he calls the Holy Trinity, Les Mis, Cats, and Phantom, a slew of movie musicals were in regular rotation in his house throughout his childhood, and they played a formative role in his development as a composer, lyricist, and performer. He has said, My mom loved Shirley Temple movies, and my dad loved The Sound of Music, My Fair Lady, and Anything with Debbie Reynolds. His love for musicals deepened when he was cast in the role of Bernardo in his sixth-grade class's production of West Side Story. My mother rented the movie so we could watch it together, he said in an interview. When the song America started, and it was about whether to live in Puerto Rico or live in the U.S., as a kid who grew up here and was sent there every summer, I was like, holy shit, West Side Story is about Puerto Ricans. 
Later in his senior year of high school, he directed a production himself. This would not be his last connection to West Side Story. In 2009, he was asked by Sondheim to work on a Broadway revival of the show and to create Spanish lyrics for some of the songs. And more recently, he adapted the song Maria into a dancey, star-studded pop track called Almost Like Praying as part of his efforts to raise funds for hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. But I'm getting ahead of myself. He attended Wesleyan University studying theater and film. He wrote the earliest draft of In the Heights during his sophomore year of college in 1999, and it was produced there the following year. After several years of development and productions, the show opened on Broadway in 2008, receiving four Tony Awards, including Best Musical and Best Score. Me and my cousin running, just another dime a dozen mom and pop stop and shop. And oh my God, it's gotten too darn hot. Like my man Cole Porter said, people come through for a few cold waters and a lottery ticket just a part of the routine. Everybody's got a job, everybody's got a dream. They gossip as I sit my coffee and smirk the first stop as people hop to work. Gossip. After In the Heights, he worked on several stage and TV projects, including writing Academy Award-nominated songs for the Disney film Moana. And meanwhile, he was working on Hamilton. He spent seven years writing it, often sending sections to Sondheim for his insight and feedback. Here's what Lin-Manuel Miranda has to say about Sondheim and Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's hard to overemphasize Sondheim's influence on the American musical theater. As a young man, he was mentored by Oscar Hammerstein II of Rodgers and Hammerstein, the songwriting duo who revolutionized musicals. Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote fully integrated songs that advanced the plot and revealed hidden depths in their characters. In their hands, musical theater matured into a storytelling art form. Sondheim built on Hammerstein's innovations by experimenting relentlessly with subject matter and form. From his early lyrics for West Side Story and Gypsy to more than 50 years' worth of scores that have pushed the boundaries and subject matter of musical theater in every conceivable direction. He is musical theater's greatest lyricist, full stop. The days of competition with other musical theater songwriters are done. We now talk about his work the way we talk about Shakespeare or Dickens or Picasso, a master of his form, both invisible within his work and everywhere at once. Sondheim was one of the first people I told about my idea for a piece about Alexander Hamilton back in 2008. I'd been hired to write Spanish translations for a Broadway revival of A West Side Story, and during our first meeting, he asked me what I was working on next. I told him Alexander Hamilton, and he threw back his head in laughter and clapped his hands. That is exactly what you should be doing. No one will expect that from you. How fantastic. That moment alone, the joy of surprising Sondheim, sustained me through many rough writing nights and missed deadlines. I sent him early drafts of the songs over the seven-year development of Hamilton, and his email response was always the same. Variety, 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 Lynn. Don't let up for a second. Surprise us. Geniuses, lower your voices. You keep out of trouble and you double your choices. I'm with you, but the situation is fraught. You've got to be carefully taught. If you talk, you're going to get shot. It may surprise you to hear what Sondheim has to say about rap music. He says, rap, of all the forms of contemporary pop music, is the closest to traditional musical theater. Its roots are in vaudeville, both in its vamp-heavy rhythmic drive and in its verbal playfulness. 
At first glance, it would seem an inappropriate medium for most shows, except for those dealing with the recording industry or stories which take place in milieus where rap might be the natural expression of the characters, as in the case of In the Heights. But it need not be site-specific. Meredith Wilson's startling use of rap in the opening number of The Music Man demonstrated this. What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? He's a music man. He's a what? He's a what? He's a music man, and he sells clarinets to the kids in the town with the big trombones and the rat-a-tat drums, big brass bass, big brass bass, and the piccolo, the piccolo uniforms, too, with the shiny gold braid on the coat, and a big red stripe running. Well, I don't know much about bands, but I do know you can't make a living selling big trombones, no, sir. Mandolin picks, perhaps? And here and there are Jews, are No, the fellow sells bands, boys' bands. I don't know how he does it, but he lives like a king, and he dallies, and he gathers, and he plucks, and he shines. And when the man dances, certainly, boys, what else? The piper pays him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I would have expected more songwriters to pick up on it, including myself. But not until rap became omnipresently popular did I try to make it work. I imitated it in a passage for the witch in the opening number of Into the Woods. Greens, greens, and nothing but greens. Parsley, peppers, cabbages, and celery, asparagus, and watercress, and vinegars, and lettuce. He said, all right, but it wasn't quite, because I caught him in the autumn in my garden one night. He was robbing me, raping me, rooting through my rutabaga, raiding my arugula, and ripping up the rampy and my champion, my favorite. I should have laid a spell on him right there. But I was never able to find another appropriate use for the technique, or perhaps I didn't have the imagination to. Miranda does. Rap is a natural language for him, and he is a master of the form. But enough of a traditionalist to know the way that he can utilize its theatrical potential. This strikes me as a classic example of the way art moves forward, the blending of two conventional styles into something wholly original, much like the marriage of Impressionism and Japanese prints in the late 19th century. It's one pathway to the future. To sum all of this up, Otto Harbach, aided and abetted by Oscar Hammerstein, had a vision, or at least an inkling, of the artistic potential of the musical and the integrity that it could have. This concept was then fully realized and turned into a game-changing disruption by Oscar Hammerstein, Jerome Kern, and Richard Rogers. And their new model and standard for musical construction was then inherited, imitated, rejected, and embraced by Sondheim and Miranda and everybody else. We may not yet have reached our glory, but I will gladly join the fight. And when our children tell their story, They'll tell the story of tonight They'll tell the story of tonight Tonight Broadway Nation is produced and written by me, David Armstrong. This episode was co-hosted and co-written by the indispensable Albert Evans. Special thanks to everyone at 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and everybody at the Broadway Podcast Network. If you only look around, you will be found. And when our children tell their story, you will be found. They'll tell the story of tonight. No matter what they tell you, 
Tomorrow there'll be more of us Telling the story of tonight The story of tonight Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now. And get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. Because only together we rise.